0: Hi, I'm Gabby. Welcome to another episode of the Happier Life Project brought to you by the award-winning mental health and wellness app, My Possible Self. Today, we are diving deep into stress for our next Ask the Expert episode. Stress is a natural response to new challenging or threatening situations. Experiencing stress is part of being a human and being alive. But it can become overwhelming, causing daily dysfunction and even leading to some serious health complications. Stress itself is not a problem, but it becomes a problem when it's left to run rampant and starts holding you back from experiencing your full potential and living life to the max. Stress is a response that is supposed to peak and resolve, it's not supposed to go on endlessly. And if your stress response continues and goes unmanaged, it can lead to mental and physical health problems. So you can imagine today's guest is very, very busy. Dr. Benedette Dancy is a stress management specialist who uses mindset and lifestyle interventions to treat her clients. She's also the director and founder of Stress Ed, which you can check out online and take an evidence-based stress test to discover just how stressed you are and how your stress level is impacting your body and mind. We've got a lot of questions to get through in today's episode, so let's get stuck in. Ready to find a healthier, happier you? Let's get started. Welcome, Dr. Bernadette Dancy to the Happier Life Project for our Ask the Expert episode. So this is basically where the majority of the questions don't come from me. They come from our app users and people that follow us on social media. And today we're talking all about stress. Thanks for having me. So I've got just a few questions before we get into it. And I wanted to start with something I read in this article, which was written only 10 months ago. And it says, what was killing people so young a hundred years ago? Among the top five causes of death in 1923 were infectious diseases such as tuberculosis and influenza. Today, by contrast, four of the top five causes of death are stress related. Heart disease, Cancer, chronic respiratory diseases, and stroke, and this was um, written by a professor of psychology and neuroscience. And his conclusion was that compared to a hundred years ago, we have the luxury of dying of stress in our late seventies or even older. So it's a slow burner. And on your website, you say I believe that we're living through a stress crisis. So I thought we could maybe start there, and I'd love to know what you think about what I've just read.
1: Yeah, let's go straight in. Hey, that's heavy, isn't it? It's, uh, mm-hmm. but it's the right place to start because I think we are living through a stress crisis, and that doesn't come from me. It's not an opinion, you know. It's based on a statement that was put out by the World Health Organization, almost echoing, you know, what you've just read, which is that you know stress is the health epidemic of the twenty first century, mm-hmm. and it's probably based on that kind of epidemiological research and evidence that we have, which we know that the stress response or specifically chronic stress underpins so many health conditions. You know, if we work back from the cause of death, you know, and we look at the contributing factors, stress is quite often is in the mix. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I think we forget, we normalise it. I think we're in one of two camps, really. We either normalise it mm-hmm. and just accept it as is, or we get overwhelmed by it and i think we just need to we're so juvenile with understanding what stress is and a bit naive to it Mm. so i think it's really important that we do give it the respect it deserves and just learn a bit more about it so that we can live with it better because it's not going anywhere and if anything it's probably getting worse but the good news is it is a normal response and it's something that we have in our armory to protect us as a species He's right. It is why we have survived this long. You know, if we look at why humans survive, it's because of the stress response. It keeps us alive. It allows us to respond to threat and harm and risk and danger. And it keeps us going. We only have to look at the news today and see all of the tragedy in the world. And you kind of think how are these people getting through that. Well, we've evolved to have a stress response that that serves us, that gives us energy, to keeps us battling on through. So it's it's a great thing. But we are a bit kind of we don't respect it, and we kind of just take it for granted. Yeah. And it really comes back and it bites us in the bum, and it can lead to all these illnesses for sure. Mm.
0: What's the difference between acute and chronic stress? Yeah, and
1: that and that's something that's really important to talk about to distinguish the difference between them, because it's chronic stress that is the main problem. Chronic stress is the leading contributor to these diseases because it's chronic that's ongoing so let's start with that Mm. so chronic stress is the ongoing relentless build-up of stress and strain the research suggests it's the build-up that presents with symptoms so it leads to symptoms and those symptoms persist For anything from about six months onwards and and they can lead you know for many many years people can persist with symptoms and they can be psychological symptoms or they can be physical symptoms and chronic stress changes the way the body responds so it leads to changes to the immune system the cardiovascular system the autoimmune system the uh, respiratory system the reproductive system all these systems get affected Mm. and so it's those changes in those and even changes within our DNA, in cell growth, cell regeneration that affect our risk of illness and disease. So it's the ongoing persistence of that stress and strain. And it's our inability to recover from that cause of that problem. Mm. So the people I work with would be people who typically have experienced, are experiencing, or are in the middle of chronic stress. Now, it's chronic stress, you might think is that the same as burnout It's slightly different, or it can be the same, but it's it's very hard to tell but we can talk about that in a minute. But it's when people have been suffering for a long time that they typically experience these symptoms, and often the symptoms are so vague, this is the thing with stress that they could be missed, we put them down to other things, and they can also be other things. so one of the first things I do with people who come and they say they're experiencing this chronic stress, and we look at historically what's been going on over the last six months or so is we have to try and figure out, you know, what else might it be? Because stress symptoms, if you look at them as a Venn diagram, there's significant overlap with perimenopausal symptoms, with maybe anemia. So something as innocent as anemia, right? So it it could be that that individual has a thyroid problem and they report with symptoms that are quite vague and generic and they say they're having a stressful time. So chronic stress symptoms can be similar to other conditions. So it's really important if someone identifies with symptoms of chronic stress that they then kind of check what else might it be. So what leads to chronic stress is constant exposure to acute stress. So acute stress is anything that happens to us. and, And that can be sociologically physiologically, psychologically. These are day-to-day kind of challenges, little moments or incidents that happen to us. And they can last minutes, seconds even, um, or they can last hours or or the whole day. Now, acute stress, unlike chronic stress, we do have these kind of responses in our body, but typically if we're healthy, then those, those responses go away, so we recover. So an acute stressor, a moment in your day, can actually be helpful towards the resilience of stress. And that is the case because an acute stress response that we recover from tells the body to kind of be a bit more resilient to cortisol, the stress hormone. Mm -hmm. And also acute stressors can happen in response to harm, threat or challenge. Mm -hmm. So just because we have an acutely stressful day, maybe a job interview, But it doesn't mean it's necessarily a bad thing. It's when those acute stresses build up and build up and build up and build up and you're not getting rest by a recovery.
0: Ah, Okay, really interesting. Because we've got so many to get through, I think we should jump into our listener and app user questions. Okay, here's the first one. I find myself being really stressed about life and take it out on my kids. How can I manage this better?
1: welcome to the club who doesn't i think most parents listening will relate to that the first thing i'll say is people should give themselves a bit of a break you know have a bit of compassion that the body is a nervous system and when you're dysregulated you're going to react and it's often we layer on the judgment and the criticism which makes that situation worse Mm -hmm. the second thing would be to look at what are your baseline stress stress levels? So we know the pinch points of the day as a parent. So maybe getting the kids ready in the morning, it may be bedtime, it may be tea time, it may be... So we tend to know when the pinch points are. So start to think about how can you create some space there? So have you got an opportunity to lower your level, your baseline level of stress, whatever it is from work, whatever's happening in the day, five, 10 minutes to yourself, whether you've got to lock yourself in the bathroom for a bit of peace and quiet... Maybe it is breath work, or whatever it is it is your thing. So in the moment, that would be what I would say. But more importantly, and this goes across the board for everybody, this is where these strategies can be come unstuck. It's hard to do that in the moment. So the best advice would be to start looking back at the bigger picture and where are your boundaries as, as a parent and, and as an individual, you're a person first and start to think about where are your needs being met in the week before that, in the month before that, and start to create a lifestyle that lets you have these more frequent breaks so that you're working with a a five out of 10 in terms of stress instead of where we're operating at the minute in society at nine out of 10. And so it's the little things that push us over that tipping point. Um, And that's where the longer term work comes in. But definitely be
0: kind to yourself because it's really, it's a really difficult thing for sure. Okay. This actually goes back to what you were mentioned before about and differentiating between burnout and chronic stress. I think I'm on the verge of burnout. Work is relentless. I don't want to sacrifice a social life or going to the gym, but I'm constantly exhausted, irritated, and seem to have one health problem after the other. I don't feel like I can speak to my boss about my workload. Can you recommend any ways I might manage my stress better? Yes.
1: Often, this is a common problem, especially if I do corporate talks, you know, um, in organizations where businesses are at capacity, workload is non negotiable, people are kind of told you've got to suck it up. And so it comes back to there are always things we can do as individuals to improve our tolerance to that stress. And quite often, the easy, quick wins are as when we look to our own lifestyle and what we're doing to help so they they talk about you know needing to exercise and having a social life so really think about are those things adding to the stress bucket or are they putting holes in the bucket what do i mean by that if the water level in the stress bucket the hypothetical stress bucket is at a nine or a ten and you go out for a night out we have a few drinks and we're hungover, like that could easily tip the bucket but you enjoy that situation you enjoy seeing people we have to think about well how can we get that social interaction maybe in a way that isn't also bringing stress to to the situation so think about those social interactions and look for ways that are going to help you and that might be i don't know going for a walk with with someone else who's got a dog if you're walking your dog finding that social interaction in, in a way that's not compromising the social interaction but it's not also bringing unnecessary stress to that scenario and the same goes for exercise so start again with what you think is helping. Exercise, we know from research, significantly helps anxiety and mood and improves our mental health. But when you look at the research for stress, for example, the research is, is limited. And I say that because not because it doesn't show that it exercise improves stress. It does. But mm-hmm. the people that that research is done on aren't really representative of the general public. So they're usually people who have scored high on a generalized anxiety score test. And then they're put in an, an experiment where they give them some exercise for six weeks and they do a bit of exercise and they feel better. Well, in the real world, like this person, everything mm-hmm. seems to be overwhelming at the minute. And so mm-hmm. if you add exercise to that equation, it can contribute to more stress. Mm-hmm. So it might mm-hmm. be that don't not do the exercise, but look at what type and is it maybe yoga would be better? Do you need to do an hour of spinning class? Or could you go out for a walk? So movement will absolutely help. But if you're at capacity, start to think about tweaking or changes to things that do help to make sure they're not adding to the stress bucket. Mm-hmm. And always start with that. There's millions of other things you could try. But given that these are the things that they definitely don't want to sacrifice, I would just say modify them for now.
0: Mm-hmm. I find I'm so stressed when I travel with work, but have no other options. What can I do to reduce? That's a hard one, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs)
1: The thing with this is, this is a lovely one, um, because it's big picture. There's so many things I could say. The biggest thing we can do when it comes to managing stress, when we feel like we can't control it, is to accept what we can't control. Because when we start to get Peed off and we resist against it and we're going, I can't change it. I've got this travel. And it adds that layer of self kind of criticism, anxiety, frustration, and it keeps the psychological stress cycle going. So that's the first thing I'd say. Uncertainty and lack of control are the two key drivers for stress. It's why we are fundamentally stressed. We feel uncertain, unsafe, and we don't feel like we've got control. So if it's factually true that this individual cannot change their work situation, then it's best to accept it and do, like I said in the previous example, is start to think about, well, how do I adjust myself? If I can stop the stress coming in the top of the bucket, where can I put holes in the stress bucket? Look at your current Mm -hmm. lifestyle. Look at your sleep regime around travel. Look at Your beliefs around how it's inhibiting or limiting you. If you think, well, I can't go for a run because I have to go straight to the hotel. Okay, maybe you can't go for a run, but maybe you could go for a walk once you put your Mm -hmm. bags in. Are you going straight to the bar or maybe you could go for a meal? So start to think around And what opportunities that traveling is giving you, as opposed to being hung up on what it's not giving you. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing was to, again, check in. Like, is it really true? Check that belief that you don't have control, that it is that extremely limiting. Mm -hmm. Because maybe it's not. And maybe there is some flexibility within that, um, that you could maybe travel three weeks on, one week off. Who knows? So be open to the opportunity or the possibility that things aren't as rigid and stuck as they might feel because that uncertainty, that lack of control just feeds the stress cycle.
0: Yeah. I wonder as well, I mean, that's all they sent in, but I wonder how you're traveling because (laughs) if there's a way you could maybe change that, like if you're traveling a rush hour and you're in a busy city, Yeah. Yeah. And
1: like that trains and stuff like I, I have this kind of rule if I if I have to travel around and if it's if it's over an hour and a half, I always get the train because I'm like, well, I can do work on the train. I can relax. I can read. I don't have to drive for three hours there and three hours back. So you're totally right. How do we change that scenario and even exposure to noise or Types of food we like. There's so many stresses within that. It's so vast and big. We'd need to have a bit more information, but start to think about how you can bring control back to you because that person feels, seems to think, or seems to feel like everything's out of control. But actually, we've got more control than we really think we have.
0: I really like that point you made as well about accepting it so that you can stop being so mad about it, you know? Okay. I'm a high achiever and I love what I do, but my job is very high pressure and results driven. I find it very hard to switch off when I am off. Any advice on how I can cultivate a healthier work-life balance?
1: Loads, loads again. So if we think about that scenario, most people who I work with or who are stressed and burnt out tend to be quote, unquote" high achievers or results driven type people. Um, So there's a lot hanging on the outcome. And if you look at the research evidence, what we see is that that outcome, achievement, goal driven mindset increases our chances of experiencing stress. So what we can do is flip the script a bit and go more towards being mastery oriented. So focus on a change in the script to look at the process in which we are engaged in. So look at mini wins and start to change the focus. That's the first thing I would just highlight because it was really interesting that they chose to specifically say are very Mm results-driven. Now, again, the other part of that is is the results-driven pressures coming top down. And again, research shows that when you're working in organizations where they are achievement-driven, results-driven, it increases the stress on the individual. But those environments, again, also show that that amount of stress improves performance we only have to look at elite sport, right? So they're results driven, they're achievement driven, they focus on the the win. But if they were to only do that, they would burn out. And in the world of sport, we call that overtraining. So Mm -hmm. if they are only focused on the outcome, they would train 24 hours a day and they would get injured and they'd break themselves. That's not how they work. And we've got 40, 50, 60 years of research science to support what they do. And what they do do is they honor recovery. So it's a cultural thing, but it's also an individual thing. So I would challenge that individuals to start thinking about what perspective or value do they place on rest and recovery? Because if we're only focused on the outcome or drive, 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 and we start to believe again, we've no control. We have to have to like hustle, grind, slog, can't not, can't not. It it means we're not valuing rest and recovery because we think, well, that's just a waste of time.
0: So we start to
1: think about actually 20 minutes here, an hour there gives us back recovery go back to the very first point we talked about which was acute stress acute stress isn't a problem it's the lack of recovery so if this individual's not getting sufficient recovery well they're not going to achieve their goals they're going to get overtrained in the athlete world but they're going to that means they're going to get overwhelmed and they're going to increase their chances of occupational burnout and then they're not getting to where they want to get anyway so it's about respecting it's a cultural thing in the workplace for sure but also as individuals we can start to honor that and really look at ourselves I, most people I work with go I oh, know I can't take time off oh I have to work late or I can't take lunch break because I'm so yeah. under so much work but when they do they start to go actually it's made such a difference I'm more productive I can focus better I'm getting that job done much much quicker yeah. so it's a, it's a real thing to reflect on I think
0: yeah I worked for a, well one of the biggest companies when I was living in the states and it was a badge of honor to be sending emails at 11 o'clock at night. And that kind of like bled through then with everybody else where we all thought we had to do that in order to like get ahead with our career. And it was just, it was so unhealthy. I cannot tell you.
1: Yeah. And it doesn't, it's the the problem is with those organizations is they don't care because you will burn out, you will leave. Well, any everyone will want to work in Apple. They've got 25 people minimum, right? Just a random number lining up for that job. Yeah, So you burn out, you leave. They just bring in the next person. So they don't really care. It's just, it's it's ridiculous.
0: Yeah. And what you said about recovery, I remember at weekends, I physically and mentally couldn't even do anything because I, the recovery was literally doing nothing. I had chronic headaches and everything, and it wasn't even nice recovery. Because I think what you were referring to before is that pleasant recovery of like, Taking a leisurely stroll, meeting friends for coffee, playing with your kids, you know. But I was literally just like lying in bed in the dark. <laughs> yeah.
1: And, and that's what happens to the
0: nervous system. It, it's yeah. very clever, the body,
1: right? If we don't give it what it needs, the nervous system overrides itself and it forces us into what you've experienced and report this shutdown. It literally goes, Nah, you've lived there for too long. Right. Now you're going to go here. And that feels like depression. And then we start to panic and we kind of go, oh, I can't cope. I'm breaking down. I'm burning out. And then it becomes what should be a weekend becomes a week, you know, because you deeply need it. You need that deep rest. But if you don't give it to yourself, your body takes it for you. Mm -hmm. And that's illness then. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Def- yeah. No. I um. I started to get panic attacks and everything, and ended up having to see a doctor because it. Yeah. It, it got. It got real bad. Anyway, it's not about me. It's about everybody else who's written yeah. in. So we'll move on to the next one. Okay. I mean, kind of work related, but I don't think this is the the main part of the stress. I've been trying for the last two years to get pregnant with my partner. I'm in my mid thirties and I've had all the fertility checks and nothing seems to be wrong with either of us. I'm a social worker and I run a team of staff, so I can't help but come to the conclusion that this is down to stress. What do you think? yeah
1: this is a really tricky one but Mm -hmm. so i won't have all the answers because there's obviously loads of questions i've got before i you know would know i'd need to know more clinically about the individual but because they've said that her their hormones are in the right place that's the first thing we'd look at okay so remember i talked about stress being almost like a diagnosis of exclusion which means like let's make sure everything else is fine before we assume it's stress Mm. and so in her case i would say just go back to probably don but just check on blood work outside of the usual fertility checks so what is your cortisol like what is your stress hormone like what's inflammation like you know get an insight into is there is there a physiological stress response going on in, in your body and that will definitely be talking to the sex hormones so what do i mean by that um a few years ago, I worked in an eating disorder clinics so all through lockdown. And when we when we work with those patients on that clinical level, they have changes to their sex hormones, which can make conception really, really difficult. Because in women, one of the one of the main things that happens is, and in men, but the main things in women is we we lose our sex hormones, meaning they really get downregulated. So estrogen, FSH, LH, etc., to, to stimulate ovulation and to stimulate healthy womb. So women will often get irregular periods and, and miss their periods. So I'm assuming in this case that this individual is female, I'm, I'm assuming. Doesn't make it clear? Yeah, I,
0: the, our social media girl doesn't always even share with me. I think it's a safe assumption that this is a, a female, yeah, just because I know our our database.
1: So we can assume that, so in females, what I would say is like, what we know is stress increases cortisol which can impact ovulation and impact uh, estrogen hormone and we see this in the blood work of, of clients that we we work with and i've worked with several clients who've gone from being underweight with eating disorders to restoring their sex hormones to restoring their their health and then go on to conceive but it takes time mm. so even though sex hormones come back online and they might say your sex hormones are fine you know everything's fine if there's stress going on in their life which sounds like it there is with lots of life stress all of us there is right life stress job stress etc mm. that will be having an impact on the fertility on the 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 kind of rate how regular she might be ovulating but how regular and that makes it harder to conceive but there's many other aspects that I'm talking to this here. when I when I work with people who are trying to conceive it's often the case that they're trying to like get as healthy as they can. So they may have lost weight. They may be on fad diets or they may be trying to fast or to get as healthy as they can. And actually, sometimes they may be underweight or they may be not eating enough of the right foods, which, again, can impact ovulation and, and fertility. So even though their blood work might be online, two things, check other blood work because um, it may be stresses going on and then see if there's some kind of connection going on there. And then lastly, I would say just give it time. I know it's a horrible thing to say, but if you can take your lens off, why aren't I getting pregnant yet? Yeah, Again, in the experience of working with the clients, is it might take six months, it might take a year. We focus on the process and on keeping the stress levels low and supporting your body in a way that it feels safe and ready to conceive. And this is a huge thing, and especially across all male and female, when we feel safe, we're less stressed. And that will naturally be seen in women when they kind of stop trying to conceive, that's but often true. it ends up happening. Yeah. And that can yeah, be related to true.
0: that. Mm. Yeah, My parents have recently separated and my mother is really depending on me. I feel with all my responsibilities, she's asking too much. Of course, I sympathize. She's never been on her own before as she got together with my dad very young but I feel like now I'm having to parent my parents what to do. <laughs> yeah. So the first thing is,
1: they've said, you know, this is too much. So it tells me again, if we think of the analogy of the stress bucket, the water levels are very close and probably beyond their capacity. Um, but that's not going to be the only stress in their life. There's going to be several avenues or taps turned on. But at the minute, that one sounds like it's a bit like dropping a house brick into a half a bucket of water. The water level goes up. Mm -hmm. So obviously, if you take it out and we remove ourselves in that scenario, we're removing a hell of a lot of the stress. But there's an element of responsibility to your parents and to make sure they're well. So I would start to think about, you know, the impact it is having. And they're saying this is too much. But get really clear on how it's showing up for them and have that relationship and respect for this is really impacting my mental health, my physical health and these things. Mm-hmm. And then start to put boundaries in place. So that's the, one of the most damaging things I see in caregivers, parents, children looking after elderly parents, parents looking after their ch- elderly children, partners, is that our boundaries are blurred and we suffer because we're not looking after ourselves. And yeah. so... I would suggest they start to look at your yeah, boundaries and think about you know you're going to be more able to help them. Sounds really cheesy and very cliche, but it's true. You can help people more by looking after yourself first and putting a healthy boundary in place buying time for yourself once a week if that is the case if you're a carer it's incredibly difficult but if you're doing that like the example we talked about with the parent and the children earlier you're creating a buffer you're allowing mm. yourself to have that moment when you walk into a room and whether it's a child or a parent or someone that you're you're already anticipating they're going to be difficult or asking for something you've got a lower threshold and you're able to take a breath and go okay this is stressful but i've got this because i've got resilience if you're at capacity you know, it's the straw that breaks the camel's back and you're just human. Our nervous system will respond to that threat in a way which will be emotional, it will be a reactive response. It won't be a logical, rational one. So hard as it is, until you put boundaries in place, you're always just going to be constantly bombarded. So yeah, start with that, I would say.
0: I think it's so tricky with like boundaries with with family members though, isn't it? Especially like with parents, because I don't know, is it because you're still their kid so therefore because i said so even if you're now 35 <laughs> or so or all you know older or younger but you know a grown person it's like they still expect you to do what they want when you try to put a boundary in place that can be ignored that's when i can get so mad so mad and that's a real tell
1: okay and that happens and that's something to bear in mind when you put boundaries in place to protect yourself people don't like it
0: mm-hmm.
1: um because you're taking something away from them by giving to yourself. So you have to be ready for that and be strong to uphold it. And when they start to see that there is a benefit to both of you, they won't like it, but when they start to slowly see and you start to feel the benefit, you're then more able to uphold it. So it's a hard one to start, but my advice would be to start small, little things. You know, leave earlier. Can you give me a lift somewhere and stay and talk to Auntie Jane? No, I can give you a lift there, but I have to go and do something else and I'll come back for you. So you start small with stretching that boundary a little bit and putting no without an explanation. No, I need to. And just just test the water with little things. And then as you go, they start to go. And then they realize, OK, OK, well, if we go in too big and it's a flat, no, I'm sick of this. I can't do this. You're always asking. I mean, it's just going to end in volatile
0: situations, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, this is interesting because it's not the person that's stressed. It's the person's partner. My partner is easily stressed out and that's not fun to be around. Sometimes they are very easily triggered and I feel something I wouldn't be so bothered about. Their reaction is intense and it sucks me down to their level it's really hard to set boundaries because they are so easily triggered so i feel i need to manage their stress better for myself any thoughts on ways to go about this
1: yeah it's a hard one when i you know when i think about that you know we just talked about boundaries the automatic thing is to think about boundaries but they were saying that, that just makes it worse right um This is where it comes back to understanding and communication and knowledge around stress. Mm -hmm. Having that conversation with that individual. Why are they at capacity? Why are they triggered? So showing curiosity and empathy. If that's someone you love and it's your partner, there's something going on. There's a reason why they're at that threshold in that capacity, whether it's learned behavior, past trauma, who knows, right? But it could just be that they're having a hard time at work. And for whatever reason, they haven't got the capacity to manage their own stress and they haven't got the capacity to create that buffer. So get curious. I would just start asking them what's going on. Like, why do you think you're there? and what might be getting you to that point and you'll be surprised rather than us going in and kind of going I'm sick of this because it adds to stress right Mm -hmm. so get curious around asking them what's going on I sometimes get emails from partners saying my partner is really really stressed can you work with them and I'm like well yeah of course I can but they have to be ready if you push that on them They'll see that as an attack or some sort of weakness against them. You can introduce strategies to them or you make it become something that you both do together and you have a conversation around it. But until that individual is ready to receive or to do things, you dragging them along to a breathwork class or meditation or as they say, I need to help manage their stress. Mm -hmm. It's just going to meet resistance. So. The starting point is the same with all of my clients is to always understand where are they coming from? What is going on? What are they dealing with? Because it doesn't matter who I work with. Every single person has got a different story. The stress is having the same response in their body, but their backstory, the reasons why, the demands upon them, all of that stuff will be completely unique. And we have to meet them where they're at. So I hope that will give her or them, an opportunity to explore that and open up the conversation and show empathy and then ask them, how can I help? How can we put things in place that can help that come down? Because I guarantee you they won't like that they're making that person feel awful too, but at the minute it's just an explosion of emotions. So start with curiosity,
0: I would suggest. Mm. Uh, Okay, I'm going to try and squeeze a couple more in before we wrap things up. Often, I don't know what makes me stressed until I'm stressed.
1: Yes. That's that's all we got. (laughs) But it's really common. So sometimes people sign up to work with me and they kind of commit to six months worth of stress management coaching and they go, but I don't feel stressed. (laughs) Like you just signed up for coaching. So our stress radars are messed up because we have this normal, you know, we, we perceive it as normal. Everybody's stressed. And it's only when it becomes chronic and symptomatic. So we're in our bed with a headache, shut down, feeling depressed, feeling overwhelmed, that we suddenly go, oh, I'm really stressed. But what the hell is stress? Well, it's not emotion, it's not just a psychological state, it's a body and mind condition. And we panic when we get the physical symptoms, Mm -hmm. but there will have been amber flags way in, you know, weeks, months, days before that so for that individual and everybody i work with part of the work about managing stress is recognizing your triggers and recognizing your amber warning flags have you lost your temper over something little okay hmm. interesting that would only have happened if i was at capacity okay what was my week like what was my day like what's life like at the minute where am i not meeting my basic needs have i been eating sleeping having time with my friends like start to explore and understand Those little amber flags are the telltale signs that stress is building up. Mm -hmm. And so that's part one. And then part two is to recognize what it feels like to be in something we call the window of tolerance. (laughs) So, again, we're saying recognize the symptoms, but also recognize what it feels like when you're fine, Mm -hmm. because we kind of forget about that. And if we can recognize what we feel like when we're good and resilient and fine, then it's easier to recognize when we're, when we're off kilter or off balance. And that's the knowledge that's the understanding. And that's the real work. Sitting down to do breath work when you're broken and having a panic attack, mm-hmm. is a bit, it's a bit like trying to put out house fire with a water pistol and <laughs> it can make people more stressed. Cause they're like, it's not working. Why am I so such a failure? I can't even do meditation. No, of course you can't. There's no way you can meditate your way out of this
0: Yeah, and yeah. Kind of
1: further back. And so that person's not the only one we all do it because we've normalized what stress is, and we only really listen to it when it incapacitates us, and so we've got to move backwards on it.
0: Wow, I feel like I could record an entire series with you um, bernie but i'll I'll just squeeze this one in. I'm emotionally eating because of stress. Do you have any tips or advice to avoid it so
1: how do we know it's because of stress okay so again there's lots of other reasons why somebody might be eating and quite often so one of the first things i'll say and again we could probably do a whole session on this but one of the most common things i see in people especially females because again they tend to be the big bigger proportion of my clientele Mm -hmm. is that they struggle with maybe stress life weight and they start to change their body shape because they're not happy and overwhelmed and we're stressed, right? So you go, well, at least if I can feel happy about my body, then I feel a bit in control. So we go to exercise and we go to food, right? And what happens then is I commonly see those people, especially women, strip carbohydrate back while I'm bloated or bloating can be a stress response. So it must be the carbs and they start to go low carb or low calorie. And that's quite an extreme kind of attempt and understandable because we want to feel good about our bodies. Right. And all the marketing, all the the evidence says we do this. We kind of desperately do it. But if you think about the stress response, carbohydrate availability is a significant impact on our stress response. Low calorie has a significant impact on our stress response. So if you go low carb or you're low calorie or just happen to be so stressed that you haven't had time to eat, because that happens too, you're going to get cravings. You're going to get indications from your body that you're under fueling or you're under fueling a specific type of food and it's often carbohydrate. And that's because our brain relies on glycogen, so the form of carbohydrate, to function, to concentrate. So when we're stressed, guess what? We burn a lot of glucose, a lot of glycogen so a stressful day your body needs carbohydrate just to fight the stress response just to deal with the stress Mm. but if you're not eating because you're really busy you haven't got time to have lunch and you're continually working or you're intentionally going low carb because you're thinking well that's the best way i can manage my weight your body is starved of nutrients carbohydrate food and it craves it so you get these indications i need to eat and we think oh I'm trying to be healthy. And then we crucify ourselves because we're at the biscuit barrel or we're having a bar of chocolate, but we're getting yeah. these messages and signs that we need to eat more. So it could be other things, but that's something that I see really commonly. And I would say, just have a little think about if that might be case for them.
0: Mm. It's many years got past now, but when I was a bit of a smoker, I say a bit of, cause I don't think I ever really committed to it properly, but like when I knocked that on the head, then for me, I replaced it with sugar for sure. You know, cause there was that psychological thing of yes. like going outside to have a cigarette was like, basically we now know it It was more about just giving ourselves five minutes to breathe, wasn't it? Even if it was naughty breathing for sure, but <laughs> taking that time out. But yeah. yeah, when, when I read that one, I thought it just, it took me back to the sort of sugar replacing smoking days, which was just at times when I wanted, it was like just something to step away basically.
1: And that's the psychological side of things, okay? So it's like if you think about it, and, and I sometimes catch myself doing it. My kids are upset, they've had a bad day. And sometimes it is they do need to eat. they like, just give them food and they turn into a nice child again, right? <laughs> but we learn that they're from they're a real. very young age. Yeah, we're like, I'm a bit I've had a bad day. Oh, I just need just comfort food, yeah, help us feel better. And so it's a normal again response of attachment to stress. But if it's happening time and time again because we're not handling stress in the bigger picture approach that's where it comes like oh now i'm overweight or now i'm eating too much crap okay i'm going to cut sugar out i'm going to cut carbs out but there is a psychological emotional kind of part within that so it's habit and it's physiological you can start by addressing the habit or you can start further down the chain and start by eating more protein eating little and often not letting our blood sugars drop creating a stress buffer so that we're not at that same point. So there's it's many multifaceted things that we can do. Um, we don't have to just do one thing when it comes to stress, which is great, I think, because it takes the pressure off there being a silver
0: bullet. Mm. Oh, Amazing <laughs> stuff. Thank you so much. I can't let you go though, before asking you, these are like quick fire questions that I ask every guest to close the episode. It's the Happier Life Project's last five in five. When and where are you at your happiest? when I am in the woods walking my dog what's your favorite thing to do that nourishes your mental health drawing
1: love to draw sketch yeah it's a mindful practice drawing sketching if you're looking at something you draw on it you have to be present you have to be in the moment so it's one of my guilty pleasures I try and do at least a few times a week yeah really really helps
0: I love that Uh, What piece of advice do you now know that you wished somebody would have told you earlier that would have made you a happier person? Oh, wow. That's a big one, isn't it? I would say to meet
1: your own needs and not worry too much about what other people think. Learn who you are first and meet your needs and then you can look after the people.
0: Mm. What is the most important one thing that needs to change to make the world a happier place? I think
1: we need to be less selfish and more
0: compassionate and look outwards more. I think we're too
1: uh, selfish in a a bad way, you know, insular. I say, my previous was look after yourself, but I think we also need to be compassionate with other people around us. I think sometimes we look away. Mm.
0: And finally, what is a simple, actionable first step we can take when it comes to better managing our stress levels that will help us on our mission to building a happier life?
1: Learn more about yourself and what stress actually is. I think a lot of our suffering comes from thinking we have to do certain things or fulfil the people's needs, and the more we understand ourselves, the easier it is to keep that stress buffer, you know, in our lives and to look after ourselves
0: and, and just be happier and content with what we've got. Yeah, start with that, I would say. Amazing. Thank you again for today. Uh, so much wonderful advice. So, if, if people want to find you, your website is bernadettedance.co.uk. You on Instagram. Bernadette Dancy underscore stress coach and then stress ed we can go to a website yeah so stress ed is
1: stressed.co.uk, and we've got uh stress ed ig on instagram perfect
0: thank you very much Thanks for having <laughs> it's, me. it's fun. deeper than you think it is as well certainly that's what I got from your answers it, it goes way way deeper if we want to actually be able to help ourselves you know 100%
1: yeah and I think that's where I get frustrated with that superficial mm. approach to stress management we can all google how to manage stress you get 10 steps we all know oh we could yeah. breathe we can meditate yeah. but it doesn't scratch the surface and it's they're important yeah. tools and they're part of the bigger picture we've created a monster and we have to undo the work we have to go back and undo things but it's really possible and once we do do it you go oh my god and i'm still running my business or doing the part i still can do all these things but i didn't need to suffer it literally
0: blows people's minds it's Gabby back with you. Thank you again to Dr. Bernadette Dancy. And thank you to you for listening to this episode of the Happier Life Project. Can't let you go without the important housekeeping. So please do stick around just for another minute if you can. If you are suffering with your mental health, there is a crisis button on the My Possible Self app, which will signpost you to the correct information for immediate expert advice. For those of you who are listening on one of the podcast platforms, the My Possible Self app is completely free to download, so you don't need to worry about it costing you anything. If you are in crisis or you think you may have an emergency, please do contact your doctor or the emergency services immediately. The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the interviewer, which is me, and the interviewees. The content of this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be considered as a substitute for professional or medical advice. The Priory Healthcare are not involved in the production or content of this podcast. To find and follow us on social media, we are at My Possible Self and I've been at Radio Gabby. Do take care and I'll see you on the next one. Bye for now.